All right, welcome to week three of the Long Tooth Podcast. Your local neighborhood Knicks podcast is covering a, a winning team. Who the hell saw that coming? They're five and three. The Knicks are rolling. Um, America has fallen in love with Tom Thibodeau. It's it's amazing. It's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and I thought this week there's only one man adept to talk about the five and three Knicks. Uh, it's my man Dave Dufour, who is podcast co- host supreme for the Athletic. You may have heard him on the Athletic NBA show on Nerder on I don't know like Dave. You do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Wow. I'm I'm truly truly honored. Um, we had our beefs on Twitter this past week. We didn't we even have it, a beef. We Come put it behind on. us. Listen, I didn't realize New York Knicks fans were so pedantic. I, I had no <laughs> clue. That's because you when didn't I text said, me beforehand. When I said the Knicks start every year four and three, I didn't mean literally four and three, although I thought that's what I was saying, right? Uh, I had actually pulled the data to try to see how they start, and they start three and four a ton. They do. Right? And that's basically yeah. four and three. So yeah, 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 relax. That same night on the ding, all I did was talk about how much fun the Knicks are and how how quickly is going to just like uh, be too good for the draft position he was in. And they're going to benefit from that because he's going to stay cheap for the next few years. And it's like this team is set up really well. Things are going well. Don't be pedantic right now. Just enjoy it. Dave, all that matters is what you tweet. I hope you've realized that by now. You can have 20 <laughs> hours of podcast time saying how much you love the Knicks, but if you tweet one mean thing, it'll stick with you forever. Yeah, I know. <sighs> I didn't even say, well, it wasn't even mean. It wasn't no, even mean. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't. I mean, don't ruin I a good time. Tra- yeah. Well, definitely not, man. Like, my brand is fun. Yeah, that's that's what you are. And I mean, the Knicks right now are fun. Um, your two brands I have, I will admit this freely. I did not expect this to happen. They have merged. Um, you are fun. And these five and three Tom Thibodeau Knicks are fun. They're coming off a 112, 100 win over the jazz. Um, they've beaten like four playoff teams right now. If you're counting the Hawks as maybe a whatever nine seed. And if that's a playoff team, yeah, I don't know what that means for like I think, contract I mean, the bonuses. Hawks are a playoff team. The Hawks are a playoff team. We'll see. Um, we'll see. I kind of came away from the Knicks win over the Hawks a little less impressed, um, not mm-hmm. just because they lost. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're probably, they, they will be in that play-in tournament, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the Knicks are good. They're fun. Like, no one was expecting this. I was thinking maybe they might be one of the two or three worst teams in the league. And here they are. And you were watching that Jazz game last night, especially the, the way that Austin Rivers closed out the Utah Jazz with 14 straight points, just bucket-getting. I mean, what do you think about these Knicks? Well, first of all, that's why you sign Austin Rivers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I can't look. I can't even say it with a straight face. It was great, but you know, we no no one should be surprised by what they're doing on the offensive end. Tom Thibodeau has been a good offensive coach his entire coaching career, and, and in particular for guards, you know, he he is another one of these Steve Clifford, uh, Mike D'Antoni types guards playing for Tom Thibodeau usually perform pretty well. Um, So no one should be surprised by the way the offense is going. But to me, the way he's got him playing defense, uh, that is is really where they're getting these wins. And and Julius Randle has just been spectacular. I can't believe I'm saying this. Yeah. All right. So there's a lot to unpack there. One, 
I am with you about Tibbs. I think he hasn't gotten enough credit over his career as an offensive coach. Yeah. Like he's had a lot of top 12 defenses. I think yep. more likely than not over his career, he, his team's produced top 12 defense, uh, offenses. Sorry. Offense. Sorry. Yep. Um, they're like 23rd in the NBA in offensive rating, but you mm-hmm. watch them play and it looks better than that. Like yeah. the numbers and the, the eye test kind of grayed out a little bit differently. The defense to me, I was also unsure of. I didn't know what mm-hmm. would happen with this team. Obviously, the Minnesota times were not great for Tom Thibodeau, defensive wizard, and the reputation of that. I don't know how to separate his defense, and maybe you can help from having Carl Anthony Towns as the back line for you, and um, that's not a great situation to be in. Now he's got Mitchell Robinson working that back end. And But you're right. like Julius Randle has been a good defender this year, Yeah, which is uh, surprising. This is what Tom Thibodeau is able to do, right? He can plug these bigs in particular defensively in, I mean, Taj Gibson, right? Like, that's what he's got Julius Randle playing like. You don't have to do anything spectacular. You just got to do your job. And then you've got Mitchell Robinson, who is just, as far as a defensive backline help guy, I mean, it's night and day difference between him and Carl Anthony Towns. So uh, the defense really isn't surprising. I think, did you and I text about this after – Tom Thibodeau got hired. So the guy I was most excited for was Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Because of, I think his defensive ceiling is so high. And if anybody's going to get the most out of him and put him into uh, the position to make the most impact, I'll even say defensively, it's going to be Tom Thibodeau, just the way he coaches defense. This is, you know, if he just runs the base defense, he's been running for years. Mitchell Robinson stand to benefit the most, but I mean, I can't help but come away every single time I've watched this team play thinking Julius Randle finally found a coach that knows how to use him. Not just on the offensive end, because, I mean, those numbers, you know, he's putting up 25 a game or whatever. But look at how he's rebounding. Look at how he's defending. And then look at how he's turning defense into offense and playmaking. Yeah. And, And it's we've seen flashes of this. In L.A., we saw a little bit of it in New Orleans. But, of course, he was playing, you know, defensive center. He just cannot quite do it. Um, Tom Thibodeau really knows how to use Julius Randle. And I really hope that the Knicks don't move him because that's the kind of guy that I think that going forward, he's a, he's a real piece for them. Like, he's a player. Yeah, I and mean, I've been surprised. If, I was, unless you're going to lose him. Right, and I, and I wasn't expecting to say that, you know, eight games into this year they have a – they have them for 19.8 million next year, 4 million is guaranteed. So they have flexibility there. But before we go on, just like for the basketball dummies like me who, you know, only ball watch and really just every time a shot goes up, it's like, Ooh, um, explain what you mean by what Tibbs's defense is and why Mitchell Robinson is kind of perfect for it. So again, uh, the biggest thing is over rotate. Like you're basically over helping where it's needed. And you're not letting anything get to the basket, right? And as of right now, he has Mitchell Robinson, the the way that he is, um, I don't want to say stalking, but kind of stalking mm-hmm. that back line. Uh, it has opened up things for Julius Randle to be able to use some of his natural gifts defensively. Um, he's sliding into driving lanes. He's sliding into passing lanes. And he's able to operate in a way – uh, that's a little bit more free uh, for a guy uh, with the skills that he has. He he doesn't have the rim protection ability uh, of Mitchell Robinson. And so instead of trying to shoehorn him into that role, he's playing more of that positional defensive role, trying to make plays with his feet in particular, I, I think is is a strength for him defensively. Um, 
and essentially just you're cutting off the, the, the lane to the basket, and that does so much work for the rest of your defense. And so if you're a little bit weaker up front, like if, if R.J. Barrett isn't doing a great job on his man, let's say, um, you know that you've got a guy who's willing to slide his body in the way, and then you've got a guy behind him. And, and this is sort of how they how Tibbs' defense has, has been so successful over the years is because you've got it's this multi-layered thing. Now, you don't have Joakim Noah back there. Right. Like Mitchell Robinson's not that. But physically – just yeah. Mitchell Robinson can just do so much stuff that he's gonna, you know, he's gonna have a lot of success just based on that. As he gets smarter and, and you know, learns more about what his job is, especially when they're icing screens over and over and over again, and he's essentially got to play the same defense over and over and over again. Um, we're gonna see what Mitchell Robinson really can be as a center. Um, but as far as Tom Thibodeau goes. This I really thought that this defense was just done. And and I think that this is one of the problems with not paying enough attention to personnel. I, I was ignoring the fact that it was just Carl Anthony Towns as the center. I was thinking that the league had just caught up to the, the straight ice defense. But then when you look at how many teams play drop, it's almost the same coverage. Yeah. It's just denying the screen you know, in the direction that they want to go. And they do and so, have Mitchell Robinson dropping a good amount. They do. Too. A, like a they, they, they mix right. that in. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when you, when you think about it that way and you just say, Oh, well, duh, Mitchell Robinson is a better defensive center than Carl Anthony Towns. So this at least theoretically could work. I still want to see a little bit more defensive versatility. How much zone are they playing? I, I, I haven't, they, they haven't played haven't much zone. I haven't seen any. Right. But yeah. I, I haven't seen every single possession. I, I'd like to see what it looks like if they slide into a zone. Like, like throw curveballs at teams. That's one of the things that that I think with Tibbs is, is um, you know, if I want to point out a weakness, it's just that that. Like, mix yeah. up your defensive coverages. We see, we see already, uh, you know, like Toronto has been doing that for the last couple of years. Brooklyn. Uh, under Kenny Atkinson was doing that quite a bit where they were, you know, they were playing as much zone as anybody the last couple of years. So I'd like to see him just show he's not a one trick pony. Cause I know he's not right. right? Like, you know, the one, the one thing I found interesting with Julius and the way that he's used Randall is this year, it seems like he has Randall kind of defending post players a little more and in the mm-hmm. post. And I think Randall's biggest problem last year, well, he, was, he was doing a lot of ball watching. He was yeah. trying to defend a lot with his eyes. And basically, guys he was covering would just slide behind him into the corners, cut behind him, whatever, as Randall you know, just kept his eyes on the ball handler. And by putting him into the post this year, it seems like it's playing to a strength of his, which is mm-hmm. not getting caught watching what the offense is doing and just focusing on one guy in particular. And he's, he's done pretty well. Like he made a few big stops in the Pacers game on DeMontis Sabonis. Like that's a role that suits him. Well, and now you've got, you've got Mitchell Robinson doing that other job, right? Yeah. He's a little bit more suited for that. Uh, And and Julius Randall strong in the post. It's, I mean, it's smart to keep your, your guys who are weak off ball defenders to keep them on the ball. Most guys can at least hold up. Guarding their position, most guys can. Um, yeah, Julius Randle, and, and you know, especially a guy with that sort of physicality, his, his ability to to really just disrupt the offensive player's plan by being big, by being strong, and by being there—that's um, huge. And you're not relying on him 
again, coming up, making a play at the basket. That that yeah. was the worst thing I've ever seen when he was in New Orleans and they really were trying to have him rotate as the backline help guy and meeting players at the rim. It just it, that isn't who he is as a defensive player. No. And I think, look, the Knicks have the seventh def- seventh best defense in the league right now. I mm-hmm. think there's going to be some worse days coming. There's going to be some regression. Like they're giving up a yeah, lot young. of threes right now. Yeah. But even just like, you know, they're giving up a lot of threes. And somehow I forget. I haven't checked it this morning, but like before Utah, they were also having their opponents shoot the worst three point percentage. Um, the, well, you know, three, the, the three there's an anchor tips, coming. But that's the that's the Tom Thibodeau thing. That's why they need to mix it up. Right. When when they are icing as much as they are, that's especially now guys will take that three as soon as they come around the screen. Teams yeah. aren't worried. Like that's a good shot. And so that's where they've got to be able to mix it up and, and come up with different things. Like You can't just, you know, ice and drop every single time. Right. It's not 2009, 2010. And, yeah. and so when they figure that out, you're right. They've got to find a way to run guys off the line to, to, you know, maybe you're hooking and trailing a little bit more and just trying to get that rear view contest, push the, the offensive players into those long twos versus the three. Cause you know, that's the whole goal of the defense. But um, this is where I'd like to see them mixing their coverages a little bit more because otherwise guys are going to be walking right into these threes. And maybe that'll happen as the season goes on and and this line of defense kind of falters a little bit, uh, which is, you know, over the course of a 72 game season will happen at some point. Um, but it has been interesting to, to see the defense and just how well they've played. I, I, the offense really like what's happened to Julius Randall into legitimate point forward guy. Not that I even want to use positions, but just like a dude who creates offense. I mean, like, I don't know how much Knicks you watched last season. It probably hopefully was not a lot because it got ugly at times. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it got ugly because of Julius Randall over dribbling over exerting himself. Like it was just bad. And he has just cut down on his worst tendencies. The, like the turnovers are still up. Yeah. It's so much quicker. Making. Yeah. It's, and it's I don't want to like credit someone... tips for that. Well, all but the way. Oh, not all the way. Cause the player, like he deserves sure. some credit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the players have to buy in, but it does seem like someone said to him, hey, look, you're a good decision maker. You just need to make them faster, right? Because yeah. like, we see it. The guy's got really good court vision. Underrated passer somehow for a guy who his rookie year showed a lot of flashes of being a good passer. Um, right. But he just, again. Played point the, guard the, in high school. Yeah. But the, the, the inability to make decisions quickly cost him for a few years and now we're seeing like so it's almost like someone said hey man 0. 0.5 0. 0.5 0. 0.5 0. 0.5 0. 0.5 right hey no no 0. 0.5 which means you have half a second when you get the ball you have half a second to do something with it or you're, you're moving it you're driving you're passing you're shooting you're doing something but you're gonna make that decision and it's better to make the decision and make a mistake than to wait make a decision and make a mistake because all you're doing yeah. you're just costing time at that point um, you know, and there are good mistakes and bad mistakes, of course, but he he has been very decisive. And, and obviously the playmaker, I mean, was he at seven assists a game or something like that? Yeah, like just- seven. Like his his assist rate is literally double what it mm-hmm. was last season. And the thing that I find interesting is that it's not that the assist numbers are up. And you're right, he's moving the ball so much quicker than he was last year, but he also finds kind of a tempo to that. Like mm-hmm. if you watch him on post-ups, teams are double teaming now. I think it started in the in the second Pacers game. Yeah. And now he kind of waits out those doubles. He draws them in. And once he sees the doubles come and the defense 
not all the way rotate. He hits the cutters. He hits the guys in the corner. And that's kind of a nuance to his passing game I didn't see last year. And I think it's really helped the Knicks. Just the way that you're right. Like sometimes it's just get it out as quickly as you can. And other times it's like, all right, guys, like come to me. I will wait through this. And because he's so long and big, Mm -hmm. he can kind of pass over the top of guys. Well, it was almost like someone reminded him that he was going to be bigger than a lot of guys trying to guard him. (laughs) Right. And he lets him sit on that back hip. And, and he can wait for that. Now, you know, I, I think that a little bit more creativity from the cutters would help him out even more. Um, like, could he could he average nine assists a game with the usage that he's got right now and, and with the players around him? I don't think that's out of the question. because And guys is, just hitting more shots, too. Guys guys making more shots. Um, you know, I think that uh, the, what he's doing right now, it's a little bit like... Nikola Jokic. What are you going to do? Wow. You know, like, wow. It's I'm just going to name as... that name that the title of this episode. Julius Randle is Jokic light. Yeah. Well, then everyone's going to like come yell at me. But no, no, no. But it is just, <laughs> it's a big who is playing, who's making the right decision, which is often a fast decision, mm-hmm. but he's making the, the right decision more often than not as a primary playmaker. And so, you know, the, the patience when he's got those guys, the double coming. That's new. He didn't do yeah. that before. He didn't. Um, and I don't know what caused it, but uh, he looks like a different guy. Now it's eight games, so it could evaporate tomorrow, but right. I don't see any reason why it should. Right. And that's the thing I've kind of been not struggling with, but like trying to mm-hmm. weigh is like how much of this is in season, uh, early season noise. Again, eight games, like some of the shooting is going to get worse. He was 10 to 26 against Utah. Like he's not a 50% three point shooter. He's not yeah. a 40% three point shooter. Um, but he and could how be much a 33% of it is real? Three point shooter. He could be He mm-hmm. like, he it's possible. And I, I mean, but just the volume of threes that he takes, you, you probably still want him to do a little more work inside the arc. He's been hitting a lot of bad shots. Like that's mm-hmm. all minutia. And, but like, it does seem that the decision-making stuff is real. And if that's real, and if that's going to hold on like that, that forebodes good things for the Knicks, I think. And, and with the way that, Tom Thibodeau uses his his bigs. He's going to rebound. He's a good rebounder anyway, but he's going to yeah. rebound. And and as long as he is going to continue to essentially be the point guard and to have the freedom to to do those grab and goes, seven assists a game is is definitely in reach for him. If he's playing thirty eight minutes a game, I don't I don't see any reason why he couldn't be you know nineteen. 11 and seven for the season. I mean, that's a really good season for Julius Randle, you know, win or lose. That's really good development for Julius Randle. Yeah. And it allows the Knicks to play different lineups too. Then you don't need to have Alfred Payton on the floor all the time. You can mix it up with quickly. And do you ever need to have Alfred Payton on the court? Like, are you an Alfred Payton? Like, do you think he's good? Like this, this is like the prime debate. I think amongst Knicks fans that I notice in comments and uh, tweets and all that is like bench Alfred Payton, for Emmanuel quickly is, you know, Alfred Payton good or not? Like, where do you stand on this? I don't, I, I don't particularly think he's very good. I think he's like a, 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 a nice high end backup or maybe he's a starter on a really bad team. So, I mean, maybe he's perfect for the Knicks. Cause they're, I don't think they're a good team. Right. Um, but if, if I'm the Knicks, I don't need, I know what Alfred Payton is right? right this, this year, I'm sure that they would love to make the playoffs and Tom Thibodeau for sure is going to be coaching to make the playoffs. But yes. is that the thing that set your sets your team up 
for the most future success. Now, I don't know if starting quickly makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe it's better to to have him coming off the bench where you can give him a little bit more, you know, responsibility and and, and watch him grow a little bit with that. Whereas in the starting lineup, he's not going to get the playmaking opportunities because you got to feed RJ, you got to feed Julius Randle, um, and Alfred Payton at least when he gets the ball, like it's not like you don't expect him to do anything with it. So it doesn't really matter. Those other guys are going to get the opportunities. Um, and so I, I I can understand both sides of the argument. Uh, if it was me, I'd probably be starting, you know, not Alfred Payton. Let's just put it that way. The funny thing is, like, Alfred Payton's best skill is kind of getting into the lane and, mm-hmm. and then just, like, sometimes shooting, sometimes he finds other guys. I think that actually – is a worse fit with the rest of the lineup than if he was a backup. I think it would be better to kind of put shooters around uh, Rob about Robinson and Barrett and Randall and let Barrett and Randall really do the playmaking mm-hmm. and let Peyton do the second team stuff where he can drive. And that is a, a better weapon well, for them. The starting lineup doesn't have enough shooting. The whole team doesn't have enough shooting. <laughs> well, yes. Okay. But the starting lineup <laughs> in particular doesn't have enough shooting. Um, Does Reggie so- Bullock not do it for you? Just Reggie Bullock alone? Reggie Bullock by himself? No, I mean, like maybe you start Austin Rivers. Like if you want to, if you want to win games, maybe you start Austin Rivers and you say, look, between Austin, Julius, and RJ, we've got enough playmaking out there, and yeah. Austin Rivers, you know, will shoot and you know he can shoot. So, you know, maybe that's the move if you're trying to do this thing where you're, you know, you're, you've got a foot on both sides of the fence here. Um, but it also means you don't start Obi Toppin when he comes back. Well, I don't. You know? I don't know that Obi deserved to start. I don't think he's like, going to he, start. He hadn't anyway. shown it, right? Yeah, but, I mean, if but he's what playing I mean is, Randall, it is a delineation. Like, if you're starting, if you're not going to start Alfred Payton, and you're going to start Austin Rivers, okay, then it means all right, we're just trying to win games, and any development that happens along the way is an added bonus. But we're actually just out here trying to win games, trying to make the playoffs. That's a different thing than if they were to, you know. We're gonna we're gonna float Obi in and out of the starting lineup, maybe going back and forth with him and Julius Randle, which is what I expected to start the year uh, coming out of training camp. Like that's what I thought they were gonna wind up doing. Yeah. Also, didn't expect Julius Randle to come out looking like you know, <laughs> freaking LeBron. You know. Well, it's hard to bench Julius Randle when he's playing like Jokic. Yeah. Like you oh, can't yeah, do that. You, can't. you like that should that would just be causing trouble. No, for they yourself. should be talking about a max contract extension. <laughs> I do wonder how that's going to happen and how it's going to work is, you know, like, let's say they get to I, I maybe uh, Obi Toppin comes back in three weeks, let's say. Mm-hmm. Like, you get to the end of January. I don't know how, what the hell the schedule is, but, like, let's say they're, like, you know, 10 and 10 or something like that by then. Um, and Randall comes down a little bit from this high. and Like, how mm-hmm. do they integrate Toppin? How do they integrate quickly? And how do they integrate, you know, de- this this whole thing that's bothered the Knicks for so long, which is developing young players and giving them time on the court. Like they've said for the last three years, you can do development outside of games, through practice, through workouts. They mentioned the G League. They never actually send guys to the G League, so like whatever. This year the G League is just, I I mean, I I just, I honestly don't know how it's going to work because I think it's, you know, pandemic. Um, But like, so how do you develop those guys if you're not going to play them a lot? Especially Toppin, who at 22 is supposed to be ready-made to contribute in the league right now, right? And I think he is. The rookie of the year favorite. I think he is. He was my pick for rookie of the year because I expected him to just come in and play a bunch. Now, obviously, the injury has thrown like a little bit of a kink in things, but um, I, I mean, I definitely expected that. Uh, quickly is interesting, right? Because I, I feel like to a certain degree, he feel it feels like found money to them somehow. Like, yeah, they didn't expect he was going to be ready to go. Um, look, man, 
I don't I don't see any reason why he can't play more than he is. Uh, I've got their their stats pulled up. He's only playing 13 minutes a game. Um, to me, that's a guy that shows so much promise that you want to find a way to get him minutes and and potentially a role. Like if you look at the teams like Miami uh, and even the Warriors to a certain degree tried this where they had young players that they drafted and they gave them roles on the team. They did. They would play actually, them in the first half. I remember right. that. And, and part of that is you're trying to figure out if these guys can even fucking play. Right. Right. Like how many 19 year old, 20 year old people come into the league and are just ready to play? Well, there's more of them now. And I think part of why there is is because smart teams are giving those guys an opportunity to show themselves. Kendrick Nunn started for for Miami all (laughs) of last year. Right. Like uh, Tyler Hero was starting in the bubble uh, and Goran Dragic was the best player they had on the team in the playoffs. And, And all of that was because Miami said, look. We've got a veteran point guard. We know what he is. We need to manage his minutes all year. And part of how we do that and set ourselves up for the future is we've got these young guards and we need to see what they are. Because if they're nothing, you've got to go out and get those guys. This is for a yeah. playoff. This is for like a championship. Well, I was going to say, those teams, like and especially the Warriors, yeah. the Heat too, they all had mar- more margin for error, right? Absolutely. Like you could take more mistakes from none. You could take more mistakes from whoever the rookies the Warriors were playing at the time. But I disagree like, if the on the Knicks margin do for this, error. They're going to lose. But they're but not a, a good no, but, team. But I mean, right now they're winning, and I sure. it's going to be hard to say to Tom Thibodeau, or I, I it's hard for me to imagine him saying, "Listen, I'm willing to concede five to ten minutes a night of this game to putting a worse player on the floor for the sake of development and development only." Like that has to be an organizational decision. Oh, I, well, right. Well, this is all about right? alignment, right? And this was my concern when they hired Tom Thibodeau. Not that he wasn't a good coach. Not that he wasn't going to get the most out of these guys. Not that he wouldn't help develop the young guys, right? Like, I think these young players will become better players because they're getting to play for Tom Thibodeau. But you actually need to get on the court to get better. And so my concern was always the short-term interests of the coach. Are are they going to overrule the long-term interests of the organization? And to me... When you have someone like Emmanuel Quickly, 13 minutes a game, by the way, totally fine. But I think when you've got a guy that has shown already the ability to get into the paint the way he can, he's got one of the best floaters in the league already. Um, Yeah, that shot's nice for him. You know, he can play. Well, I would rather find more minutes for Quickly, and maybe you're taking those minutes from Alfred Payton just straight up. But that is going to make you better next year and the year after. And the year after that, and so, but again, I understand that, you know, that uh, tug of war between today and tomorrow. Like, I mean, it's all hell. Half of our damn show on Nerd—that's what we talk about, right? It's it's do I what am I taking away from tomorrow to pay for today, or vice versa? And, and obviously, for the Knicks, like they're trying to win games. I, that's good, man. Like, I think that's they need to win games. It's at some good point for too. the you league. You can't keep playing for tomorrow. No, no, no. At what time? I, I would rather teams. I'm going to put my my best five guys on the court at all times, right? Like I'm going to play these guys. I I know that everyone is up in arms about the minutes already. Part of that, they can't help. Do you care about the minutes? Like, well, right. I mean, the last two games I would say is kind of like, because they're so, they're so shorthanded. You need to play everyone. Like they've had two straight games of three people, I think playing 40 minutes a night, which is ridiculous in early January. Um, But you know, Randall and Barrett are one, two in the league in minutes per game. And I looked up the stat, like, Every Tom Thibodeau team 
full season that he's coached mm-hmm. has had a guy finish top four in the league in minutes played. Yeah. Um, like he just has his favorites and he plays the hell out of them. And uh, guys want to play. Yeah, for sure. That's the, that's the other thing is guys don't want to, they don't want to play 30 minutes a night. They want to play 40 uh, for the most part. Right. I'm sure that when Julius Randall's 32, he's not going to want to play 39 minutes a game. And, but you see that at the end of the games, like those guys are yeah. like Randall is taxed at the end mm-hmm. of the games, like understandably so, because he's mm-hmm. playing 40 hard minutes in the front court doing damn near everything for the offense. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if there's a, mod- a way to kind of moderate that and pull back a little bit. Well, and that's about the organizational alignment. And, and so when they brought in Thibodeau, one of the things we talked about on Nerder was, you know, we don't know what the organization and, and Tom Thibodeau have come up with as far as a game plan for the season, but we'll know pretty soon. Right. Like it'll take 10 to 15 games to really get a sense of what it is. Yeah. It's very obvious this is not a development season for them, but that they're not going to get in the way of development. So the Todd Gibson. I don't know. I kind of look at the other way. Well, I was going to say the Todd Gibson signing, I am much less worried about now than I would have been if they had done it, you know, before, uh, during free agency or uh, before the start of training camp. This, you can actually say, okay. Taj Gibson, veteran big. They really need a big right now, like today, because they just don't have him and guys are having to play too many minutes. This is a guy who has been with Tom Thibodeau now, I mean, for a lot of his career, knows exactly what's expected of him. Tom Thibodeau knows this is a guy that knows exactly what I'm doing. He can throw him in there and he can get those guys the, you know, the time off the court that they need. So I'm much less worried now that they're not doing this, you know, the right way. I think that trying to win games is great, but man, they're playing RJ Barrett 38 minutes a night. Uh, Mitchell Robinson is getting a chance to make mistakes and stay yeah. on the court. Um, there are a lot of, uh, of things that he's doing that are also good for development. So that's, this is a good thing. Like, I think it's positive. I, I'm much, I feel much more comfortable with the idea of Tom Thibodeau as the coach of the Knicks than I, than I was when he was hired. I think the roster's in a place where you kind of have to play the young guys a lot. Like Kevin Knox, I don't know For what sure. the official well, minutes they, per game is, but he's like 18 or something like that. Yeah. And that's kind of where he's at with his level of play. Um, you know, I think some guys, maybe like Frank Nilakina, have kind of been lost before he got hurt. I don't know if he'll ever get a rotation spot this year. I still like Frank Nilakina. I still think there's an avenue for him to become a good player. Look, man, I've seen um, FIBA helpful Frank. player. I know what it looks like. You can't, you, like, you can't tell me that he can't do that in the nba that's i refuse to believe it people franks he's like a genie in a bottle like he just comes out sometimes and tantalizes everyone and he does it like five times a year for the knicks but even like he can play defense and he can move the ball a little bit but he can't Um, start but he doesn't shoot well enough to play with the other guys yeah that's and that's the problem he can't keep draining threes consistently enough to merit a space on the floor but i'll Um, still i'll still argue that he needs to play more and more and more that's just I, I agree with you too. That's where and, I'm at. And you know, I I think, you know, maybe you could get away from Alfred Payton playing 40 minutes a night like he did last night. Well, if you're gonna start Alfred Payton, you might as well start Frank Nilakina. As far as as far as I'm concerned. I'd rather start Frank Nilakina. All this gets muddied when Alec Burks comes back too. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> although Alec, Alec Burks is the problem. Now when you know, Alec like... Burks comes back though, all of a sudden, because that's the guy that I, I guess will take Alfred Payton's spot. I'm hoping. No, I mean Alec. Alec was getting the second team to himself a little bit to run oh, it before no, he, he got hurt. Start. Man, he should. Start. Well, I think, I think with Rivers back now, maybe the calculus is a little bit different because you have more help for the offense on the second team. 
I agree. Burks is the better player. And if you mm-hmm. just roll out Burks, Bullock, and Barrett as your as your kind of wings backcourt guys, like who cares if there's no point well, guard? And then Back, you got playmaking there. You got three guys who the, who can play make off the dribble. You know that's big. Yes. And Burks can shoot, and he can shoot off the dribble. So yeah. um, you know that gives him a chance to really win some games. We'll see. I mean, we'll see how it works out. But I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch any of the preseason, so I don't know how they were planning to use him. I mean, in the first three games before he got hurt, he was averaging 20 points per game, Burks mm-hmm. was, and, like, mm-hmm. he was the guy. He was the guy, you know, coming off the bench. He would play when Barrett and uh, when Randall were out, and he got to really score and make things happen. He was doing it efficiently. Again, yeah. you know, three games. Like, he's right. not going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer this whole season. I, I do Why wonder because we're not going to go. man? It's about usage. He's a, he's a fine offensive player. It's just about usage. And would you rather have Alec Burks taking those possessions or Alfred Payton? We already know my answer. Right. Nick are, fans are, I, know I don't know stand. how they feel about Alfred Payton. Are they going to love me for this? They're, they're going to hate me? Uh, no, they're not. They kind of stand with you where, where okay, Alfred all right, Payton all right. is. Well, my cool. tweets and my mentions are a reflection of that. All right. Um, I do have a question, that, and this may actually you know, cause friction for the Knicks fans oh, and you. Because um, I know you guys are simpatico at the moment, and we're not going to go <laughs> very long. So this is my last, my last thing for you. Where do you stand on R.J. Barrett? Well, I, I like R.J. Barrett a lot. I liked him coming out of Duke. Um, I still think they don't have enough shooting around him to really know what he is. Uh, the playmaking, I, I like that he's getting more opportunities. I don't necessarily like what he's doing with them yet. What but I mean? think it's going to come. So I think I think RJ has a real chance to be like a Kawhi Leonard type of playmaker. where okay. Where he can use his strength to create advantages for other people. And this is where, you know, you mentioned Julius Randle having patience in the post now and finding guys cutting, right? I think R.J. Barrett could do the exact same thing. I think R.J. Barrett could work in the mid post, uh, high post. He could do all of those sort of uh, things that require strength. He's he's strong, right? He's got Mm. a big body. It's why he was so good at getting to the free throw line. I I do think that that's something that they could explore a little bit. but he he looks like a second year guy who's figuring out how to play make in the NBA. It's a good thing. What do, do you, you see a few? I mean, I I thought his playmaking was actually kind of better this year. No, it's, it's better. By it. It's better. I I I still struggle with the the fact that he can't shoot, and I just don't know what the outcome is if he remains a bad shooter. It's um, um it's I don't know, man. It's not Andrew and I Wiggins. Yeah. It's I probably mean, worse than Andrew Wiggins. You think it? Andrew Wiggins I'm not is a big like Wiggins an average. Fan. He's like an average player, right? Yeah, Andrew I mean, Wiggins I just see a better is. feel for the game. But like Wiggins is such a good athlete that he can make up for some of the mistakes. Like RJ Barrett is not a great athlete, and he's not a good shooter, and that's a problematic combination to start out. Like basically, you're zero and two at the plate, right? Um, and so, like, that's hard to come back from that. But he does so many things well, and he's got a good feel for the game. And I think it's he does. he's improved this year. It's just I'm you just know, keep. He kind of has fallen victim, I think, to a certain degree. It's the same thing that happened with Emmanuel Moutier. I, I saw R.J. Barrett, I think he was 16, the first time I mm. saw him in person. And he was almost the same size he is now. So, like, he's he's been bigger than his age group, I think. And And I was watching him play against guys that were rising college freshmen. Uh, in, at Hoop Summit. Um, and he was able to hang with those guys physically, which 
two years is a big deal in high school. And I wonder if that didn't stymie his development just a little bit, where he was able to rely on his strength and his size a little bit too much. And that kept him from doing things like developing the off-the-dribble jumper, developing the the reliable Mm. three ball, and things like that. It doesn't mean that he can't do it at this point, but I do think that those really important years of development from like 16 to 20, like the the door is shutting. Um, Yeah. And and not a lot of guys turn into good shooters in the NBA. That's just like the the fixes shot thing is kind of a myth. There are not very many guys that have fixed their shot. Um, If you exclude bigs, there really are, are very few. But why, um, if you if you can do it with bigs, why can't you do it with wings? Because bigs just don't do it much, right? At lower levels of basketball, it, at least before before Steph Curry in the pre times, yeah, right. Um, at lower levels of basketball, bigs weren't given the ball to dribble. They weren't given the ball to shoot. Like think about like we were all surprised that Carl Anthony Towns had three point range, and now like he's one. Of I the wasn't. Biggest... I saw him play in high school. He was a three point shooter in, in New Jersey. And, but he I was surprised when he's playing in the post at Kentucky. Kentucky. Right. I was wondering what the hell was going on. And so, you know, there's that. I mean, Brooke Lopez, right? Like, three-point shooter. Yeah, that came out Didn't do that, right? Like, so with bigs, it's just that the sample size was so small. You have no idea if they can shoot or not. Although, if they can shoot free throws, they can shoot threes. Um, Where And and then with guards, man, like, not a lot of them get better at shooting. I think Avery Bradley did. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. That just got, so which is that, good. That went which from kind of bad, proves your point. But bad, so it's like bad to average is easier to do than average to good. But he's yeah. bad now, and it, it's if they can get to really, average, if he can get to average, that's great. But it's hard right. to get to average. It's yeah. even harder to get to good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I for him, like I think even if he gets to average, like that changes the tra- uh, trajectory of his career. Um, and but we'll see. And and yeah, anyway. Uh, I will debate the RJ Barrett question for a while. He'll be 33. I, like and people, I know, but I just feel like he'll be 33 and like, we'll be saying, well, you know, once RJ Barrett gets into an offense with better spacing, we can really see what he is. And like, that's just going to be a thing for him. I don't know. We'll see. Um, look, Dave, you got to go. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. You have many podcasts. Uh, everyone, you should listen to Dave on all of our many podcasts on the athletic NBA universe. What yeah. do you have? Like 15, 20 going? Uh, no, five? Thirty? Five? I don't know. There's I don't no know. way it's just five. No to, chance to, in hell. Today I'm cor- I'm recording four different shows. Okay. Uh well listen to all of them. I listen to Nerder frequently. I legitimately get smarter about basketball, so I I need that. I just steal all of my opinions from you guys. Um yeah. tomorrow's so thank episode thank is great, you. by the way. Oh yeah? Okay. Yeah. We recorded earlier I'm, today. I'll make sure to listen then. All right. It's an awesome show. All right. So everybody, um, listen to Dave on the Athletic NBA podcast, uh, including and especially Nerder. And uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Long Twos podcast. Read the Athletic, read our Knicks coverage, read everything else on there. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye, guys.